0: Just curious, does anybody think they're already on to me in terms of the title today? Like, you know where I'm going? Anyone? There a little, there, there's actually a little, yeah? Ah, Brent, you know where I'm going? Okay, that's, that's, that's cool. So, uh, first of all, the word plucky, you may not be, how many are familiar with the word plucky? Yeah? Oh, okay, okay, because I was afraid that might be a little out there, a little weird. And then, of course, you can talk about Pluck. Somebody's got pluck, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not, but pluck, it, pluck means courageous, but it doesn't just mean courageous. It's kind of like the word spry, like, you know, spry means like you're fit, but it doesn't mean you're fit if you're 12. You know, ah, he's a spry 12-year-old. You, always, you say that about an 85-year-old. They're spry. Well, the same thing with pluck. Pluck really is, is cr- courage, but it's outsized to the relative stature of the, the person. The smaller you are, the more capable you are of being plucky. Yeah? Oh, he's a, he's a pluck. And if you look pluck up in the dictionary, I think a picture of a fictitious mouse would be there uh, from the Chronicles of Narnia. In fact, from the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Boys and girls, you remember the Voyage of the Dawn Treader? And who's your favorite character in the Dawn Treader? It's got to be Reepicheep, right? Am I right? Like if you looked up in a di- pluck in a dictionary, Reepicheep, the mouse would be right there, you know, because he's plucky. He's like this tiny little mouse, you know, talking mouse because it's Narnia. But I mean, he's a soldier. He's a he's he's a warrior. He's he's just like let let's let's at you know go at him. Uh, he's not afraid of anything, and uh, and of course. If you, if you track with the story, his great desire is to go to Aslan's country. That's his quest. He's like Don Quixote the mouse. He's, he wants to get to Aslan's country, which is like a metaphor of heaven and, and where Christ is and so forth. Uh, and there's this great soliloquy uh, of uh, Reepercheep in the book, and I'm going to read it to you. But he says, um, he says, my own plans are made. While I can, I sail east in the dawn treader. When she fails me, I paddle east in my coracle. When she sinks, I shall swim east with my four paws. And when I can swim no longer, if I have not reached Aslan's country or shot over the edge of the world into some vast cataract, I shall sink with my nose to the sunrise. Huh? That's a plucky mouse right there. And that's Paul. I mean, that's Paul in a nutshell. We backed up a verse to get to 25. We, you know, there was no real way of not catching a verse in the middle of Paul's thought here. But I wanted to go back to 25 to remind you how we get into verse 26 today. And that's Paul, where Paul's talking about his ministry. And, he, and we talked about the fact that it said that, that his desire was to fulfill the word of God. Literally, it kind of reads like that. What does that mean? Well, what it meant... For Paul was, he was going to keep his ministry of proclaiming Christ, and he was going to keep it until the end. And that could be the end of the world, you know. If he reached the ends of the world, he kept pushing to the ends of the then-known world. Uh, Or if it was the end of his life. Whichever came first, he was determined. He was like reap a Chief. He was going to die with his boots on, die with his nose pointed toward the sunrise. Yeah? Tracking with me pretty good so far? So my question today is, can we be that way? Is it okay that we challenge ourselves as believers together, not just as individuals out there alone, but together as the church? Can we be plucky for the gospel? Well here's the big idea today, we shall proclaim Christ to the end. And I'm saying that with a little pluck, okay? I'm saying that on our behalf. We, we are affirming what, what Paul's affirmed. We shall proclaim Christ to the end. We shall proclaim him with our nose to the sunrise. And you don't have to be a preacher to do that. Uh, you don't have to be a Sunday school teacher. You don't have to be in some parachurch ministry or, or, or anything of the like. If you are a believer, as part of the church together and when we are separate, when we're out there in the world, our, our goal, is to proclaim Christ. Amen? Amen. A- and, and we can, and we shall, as God enables us. There's going to be four reasons in our text today. You look at these, the, these are reasons that we can be plucky to proclaim the gospel. You'll notice there's a little pr- parenthesis after each one. And that's just kind of, in a nutshell, what that, what that um, point kind of gets at. So, first of all, we have seen the glory of this mystery that has been revealed. We have the inspiration. To do this because we've seen the glory of this mystery that has been revealed. Christians can be plucky because the, we have something the world doesn't have. And that's hope. We have hope that the world does not have. What is hope? We've talked about it many times. Hope is, hope is the assurance of something that's been promised. The, hope is not wishful thinking. It is, it is laying hold upon with your heart... That which has already been promised, you know it's yours, it's coming to you. you. By virtue of faith, you lay hold of it, but it's been laid up. It's something we're still heading toward. The word of God that Paul is going to proclaim to the end of the earth is defined in verse 26 and 27. So it's kind of I know convolute is not the right word. It's, it's, it's intertwined and it's complex. It's typical Pauline, complex thought. But here it is: the mystery hidden for ages and generation. Generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's Paul with his simple declarative sentences for you. Uh, (laughs) Let's unpack this really quickly. So first of all, he's talking about a mystery and a mystery in, in scripture you understand is not the way we use the word there's so many words that aren't used the way we knew the way we typically use them so we think of a mystery as something that is a riddle it's very mysterious it's a riddle oh how can you figure this out in scripture when a riddle is a, 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 a mystery is mentioned it's talking about something which was hidden before but which has now been made public which has made made known so paul's looking back at the gospel about Christ as he was in the Old Testament in previous generations, the saints that, that went before under the Old Testament. And for, for them, these things had been relatively, this mystery of Christ had been relatively speaking hidden. How many have heard the expression that the new is in the old concealed and the old is in the new revealed? Speaking of the New Testament and Old Testament, yes? That's, that's a familiar expression, you've heard that. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, we can see foreshadowing when we're New Testament Christians looking back at the Old Testament. It's really quite easy. And we could go through a long laundry list of how this works itself out. But I mean, the whole trajectory of the Old Testament, once you kind of get a handle on, on the New Testament, you go back to the Old Testament, it just, it just reads like this unfolding of that mystery. But it wasn't so much for them at the time. They, di- they didn't necessarily see it that way. And we can understand why. How many have ever seen The Sixth Sense? The movie, The sick Bruce Willis, The Sixth Sense? Three of you, four of Okay, most of you. All right, well, okay, so then I'm not divulging anything when I tell you that Bruce Willis was dead for the whole movie. He was dead. And we should have seen it. They shot him dead in the first scene. Well, we didn't know he was dead, right? We just thought that he had recovered neatly from that bullet to the chest. And, uh, then, it, and then the whole movie, we're like, oh, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. I see why his wife doesn't talk to him. That looks, like, you know, that looks like an average day in my life right there. So, you know, nothing strange at all about that. You know, we didn't, we, we were, <laughs> we didn't question it until the, you get to the end, and you're like, what? 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 And I went back the next day to the theater and watched it again. Because I'm like, this, no way did they, that's, I, that, that filmmaker, whatever his name is, a Shmaya guy, whatever, he, he can't be fair because there were no hints. And then you go back and you watch it and you're like, oh yeah, oh yeah, 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 why is no one ever talking to this guy except dead people and the kid who can see dead people, ding, 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 ding. But we didn't see it. We didn't see it till afterward, and then we're like, all the clues are there. And so it is, when Paul looks back at the Old Testament to the saints of the Old Testament time, it was mysterious for them. But he says, for the New Testament saint, for those who come after the time of Christ and and come through by way of the gospel, it, it all opens up. He says, how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Again, we're, we're breaking it down. It's still, it still sounds kind of complex and a little bit circular, but it boils down to, to this. The gospel was not only there, as it turned out, against what their expectation was. It was not only there for the Jew, but, but what no one saw coming was this glorious revelation of the mystery uh, of Christ unfolding toward the Gentiles and incorporating the Gentiles as well. Who knew? Who knew? I mean, there are plenty of hints once you assume it. Once you, uh, once you look back and, and, and you understand that the Gentiles have been brought into the church, you go back and you just start seeing it throughout the Old Testament. You see Naaman and Rahab and Ruth and you read the book of Jonah with the Ninevites and all of those things. And, and you know, the promise to Abraham himself that through him, through his seed, all the nations of the earth would be, be blessed. We, we get it once we're looking for it. It's funny, when we were reading Psalm 130 earlier, I don't know if it, it jumped out at you, but it spoke about Israel, about, uh, about Israel's sins being forgiven. So we read it as New Testament believers, and we are included. We have been brought in. We have been made one people with, of God. But they didn't see that. They saw Israel, and they went, yep, Israel. See, Israel. Why do you think Paul, as a Pharisee, had so much problems with it? The false teachers that Paul is speaking against it seems when you put the pieces together that they were very, very concerned about a little Jewish enclave. Like everything about that, that, that false, When we, we know only so much. But when you piece it together, they're talking about Sabbaths and, 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 and rituals and dietary laws and festival days. So it's very, very Jewish. And it's this little, it's this little you know, here it is. It's just us. It's just us, it's just us, the initiated the, um, among the Jews or those who have become Jews through circumcision. You know, Paul as a Pharisee, didn't really even understand it. But now Paul says, in effect, all the riches of God's glory that come through the gospel are made glorious because he has shed that, that gospel and that grace and that glory upon pagans. The gospel is so much greater and more glorious than the false teachers could have ever imagined. It says, God chose to make it known among the Gentiles all this glorious, mysterious grace. Isn't that amazing? I mean, we take it for granted because we're New Testament Christians. Most of us are pagans of a pagan background. Most of us are Gentiles. You've done your 23andMe, and, and you might have a smidge of, uh, of something Jewish going on. But most of us, we're just, we're just, we're just pagans. We're just Gentiles, right? So, so we've already accepted that this is true. Paul boils it down to this. Here's the gist of the mystery. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that's speaking about, through the gospel, Christ dwelling in the believer. And not just in the believer, but in all believers. Not just the Jewish believers, but also the Gentile believers. That Christ is dwelling in us individually and in the church. And that this expresses God's glory. Union with Christ is given to all through the gospel. That wasn't understood in the Old Testament. They didn't completely understand it. They didn't completely picture it. But yet, this is what's been revealed. Honestly, if you look at this, there's, there's more in these two verses than I could do justice to, and I probably haven't. But let's, let's just distill it down. The glory of Christ is seen in this mystery which has now been revealed. God has poured out his riches in Christ including all the glory to come and giving it to Gentiles, Gentile believers along with the Jews. It, it, it's big. From here on, you'll notice Paul starts using the word everyone. The word everyone. So instead of it being just this select little group over here for these very, very Jewish Christians over here in Colossae who, who are doing all these fancy schmancy things, he's like, everyone. It's for everyone. Everyone, not just for the Jew, but for the Gentiles, everyone to be told. It isn't a secret that, that we keep in a little club, isolated unto ourselves, that only a few very special initiated Jewish believers can have part of this. This is something we proclaim from the rooftops, the glory of Christ in the gospel, this mystery. It is for everyone. And once you see how big that is, you, know, you see, it's, it's like a... a Finale firework. We're coming up on those pretty quickly, aren't we? I dread that when I start having to hear that every night when I'm trying to sleep. You know, people setting off fireworks. It lasts for what? You know, maybe 10 days leading up and about a year after the 4th of July. Um, here in Kansas anyway. But you know that finale, the one that you're waiting for where, where you, everything's been ooh and ah and then boom and then boom and then boom, 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 boom. Just, just, it just starts filling the entire sky. That's kind of what Paul is saying. That's the glory. That's this mystery that's been revealed. It started here. It was with Abraham. It was with his offspring, and now, pfft, the whole world to everyone, to everyone. That should make a person plucky, right? If you get, if you capture a sense of the glory of the mystery that has been revealed in the gospel, you know, it, it, it just it's it's so expansive. It's so expansive. It ought to inspire us. Okay. The second reason that we should proclaim Christ to the end is that we have seen the manner by which he must be proclaimed. So it helps if we understand how. And Paul unpacks that here. Uh, He says in verse 28, Him we proclaim, warning everyone, notice the word everyone there, warning everyone, and teaching everyone, (laughs) with all wisdom that we may present everyone, Mature in Christ, yeah. All right, let's look at this. Let's unpack it. In English and in Greek, the very first word is the same in the translations and in the Greek underneath it, and that is the word him. Why would you put him up front? Why, why would you think you'd put him up front? Because It's for emphasis, isn't it? Paul saying, him we proclaim. In contrast to the false teachers, what we're proclaiming is not some... Some little workaround system that you've developed with rituals and this and that and the other thing, and it all feels so so neat and cool and, and everything, but that's not it. That's not it. It's not a pattern, it's not a philosophy, it's it's not uh your best efforts, it's not some morality of some kind. We preach him, him we proclaim, him, Jesus Christ, crucified for sinners, buried, raised the third day. That's the message, yeah? Okay? The second word in here is we, and likely this is Paul contrasting himself and Timothy and Epaphras and, and all of the rest of the apostles with the false teachers. Him we proclaim. Yeah, they're proclaiming something. What they're proclaiming, we can't really tell you. It's probably sort of an early version of Scientology. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't Scientology, but it might as well have been Scientology. Have you ever listened to any, do you ever go on YouTube and watch some of these former Scientologists kind of go through what Scientology is all about? It, it hooks you in, ooh, we got a mystery. But it's not a revealed mystery for everyone, it's, it's our little mystery. And uh, give me some money, and I'll take you through a little short course, and I'll get you up to level two, or whatever they call it, beta or something, I don't know, you get, to, you get there, and, uh, and then we'll get you a little, we'll break out a little secret that just you get to know, because you've reached level two. And but if you pay me a little more money and take a little more time, we'll get you up to the third level. And there'll be another little secret waiting on you then. And you just keep you just keep working it unto them. I so that 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 was, those were the false teachers. But Paul, notice Paul. Paul and his and the apostles, they preached everyone. Everyone. The Jew and for the Greek. They they this glorious mystery was revealed for everyone. And Paul says three things of these, of these every ones. We're going to look at two of these under this point. But the, the first two of these tell us how to make disciples. They tell us the process of, of making the mystery known. We are to warn or admonish and to teach. We warn and we teach. When we preach the gospel, when him we proclaim, when we're proclaiming Christ, we're doing two main things. We're warning and we're teaching. What are we warning them of? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the warning. You're dead in your trespasses and sin. You're apart from Christ. You're apart from God. You're without hope, without God in the world. And you could go down the line. And and, and if you die, you're going to be dying in your sins and you're going to go to hell. And those are the kinds of warnings that we're preaching. But then right with it is the teaching. What are we teaching? Well, we're teaching them that the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. We're, we're teaching everything that he's given us to, um, t- uh, to obey. How do we make disciples in the church? How do we make disciples in the church? Well, you send them off to the navigator program, right? Because, you know, churches, we haven't figured out how to disciple people. So we send them to the navigators. I, honestly, you know, when I was coming up, Back in the day, and going through seminary, I, it, it kind of felt that way. Like, oh, you know, church, you just get people in there, and you give them what you can. But what the really serious people do is they get discipleship. So you have to, you know, you have to farm that out to a parachurch group like the Navigators, because they're so good. The Navigators are good, don't get me wrong. But discipleship is meant to be done in the church. That's what we do. That's what this life together as the church is all about. And we proclaim Christ. And what do we do? We warn. We warn people, not just unbelievers, we warn our fellow Christians. We we exhort, we encourage, we admonish, and we teach everyone to obey whatever Christ has given us. Look at what it says in verse 3 it says, Let the word of Christ. Uh, I'm sorry, not verse 3, chapter 3, uh, to give you a little context here. In chapter 3, something very similar. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Now, the reason I bring this up from chapter 3, so we're jumping ahead a little bit, is that the very same words are used there. Translated a little bit differently, but they're the same underlying Greek words. So for warn and teach, here it's teaching and admonishing. And what is the context? Who do you think the one another is? It's the church. He's talking about the Christians at Colossae. We teach and we warn, we admonish one another. That's how it's supposed to be done. That's how discipleship is supposed to take place. We're proclaiming him. Him we proclaim. How do we do it? We warn and we teach everyone. Which ones do you, th- what's more effective? Is it more effective um, to, uh, to teach and to warn in a wana or at a Billy Graham? Um, I know he's dead, but let's just, for sake of argument, say he was still alive and- a you know, big Billy Graham Crusade. Which one's which one's supposed to be which one would be more effective? Is it more effective to do door to door evangelism or to warn and proclaim people from the pulpit in the local church? And I bet you think I'm gonna give you a solid answer one way or the other. I would say every way that we possibly can, but what we don't want to lose, of course, within that is is the paramount importance of the local church. That's what we are here for, for one another to teach and to warn and that and yeah, we've been given the rails to run on. What else do you need to know? Thirdly, we have seen the goal for which he has proclaimed. Talk about the aim here. What's our goal? It's another one of those one another, um, everyone uh, things. Verse 28, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now, this could be very easily in contrast to the false teachers again, because what those ancient sort of mystery religions tended to do with the initiated was, you know, to put forward some kind of a, you know, higher level thing that you could get to. Again, like if it's Scientology, you have to have spent a lot. Why do they pick movie stars? Because they're dumb and they've got money. I said, it's perfect. But, uh, but, you know, they're willing to keep paying more and more money until they finally get up to the upper. And so, so you don't have a lot of mature Scientologists. Like you may have one. It's like being a 33rd degree mason or something like that. I mean, it takes you a long time. There's just only going to be so many mature ones in the, in the bunch. But for a Christian, it's, it's not about you know, going through a regimented series of promotions with you know, greater mysteries unfolded and this and that, and then you only have a few. Paul's goal is to present everyone mature. In Christ. Now, in a given church at any time, there's going to be baby Christians. There's going to be older Christians and so forth. But it's really not about moving through dis- distinct stages. It's about everyone, once they are in Christ, remaining in Christ, remaining within the church, being warned and being taught and so forth, and, and steadily reaching maturity such that, we, such that we are, everyone is to be presented in maturi- maturity. Maturity. If Paul were looking for a group of uh, men and women, he wouldn't say, okay, oh, where are the college-educated ones? Okay, I need all the college-educated over, over here, right here. Just Yeah, because you've got the most promise. Are there any Jewish college-educated people among us? Okay, we want you over here because you're really uh, the best of the best, the cream of the crop. Oh, and by the way, are there any uneducated, uh, you know, poor folk? Yeah, illiterates? Yeah, you're over here. Yeah. <laughs> You're marginal at best. Just be happy that we included you. I mean, he would have never done that, would he? His goal for the whole church, for everyone, was to present everyone mature in the Lord. I fear sometimes that the modern church has gotten to the place where the goal is, how can we fit the most people, the most livestock, all into one building... Preferably many, many services. You know, who, the, whoever win, <laughs> dies with the most people in the pew wins. That's sort of kind of the view. And, and often it, the, the view tends to be, into, and it's, it's intentional. Let's just keep it shallow. Let's keep it shallow. If a pastor were to get up in certain megachurches and, and just preach from the word and exposit the word, it'd be like, what do you think you're doing? Well, I'm trying to help people through warning them, through the warning them of the scriptures and teaching them. I'm trying to help them to get toward maturity. We don't do that. We, don't, we, we shuttle them off to the navigators. That's what we do. But we don't do that here in the church. That's not what the church is for. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it, yes, it is. And the goal isn't just to reach maturity. The, the interesting thing is the way Paul phrases it. Look, look what he says. He says, so we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now, now, how is that different when, when you put it in that way, to present everyone mature? We had that word present earlier, back in 122, where it was talking about Jesus, and he's like the high priest, and he, he presents us before the Father, holy and blameless. Do you remember that? So when Paul talks about presenting every person mature in Christ, what does that phrase suggest? I mean, the goal is the same. The goal is to, to get people to reach toward maturity, but it's, it's maturity in light of the day. in light of It's, it's thinking of it, not just, hey, we want to fill this church with a lot of mature Christians because it'll be more fun. It's, no, we're trying to get everyone toward maturity because they will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We want them to, to arrive there mature. But I find that to be a little bit more motivating as a job description don't you the job is not over when we simply get people to walk through the door of the church amen it's not that's not done it's not done just if we get them to sit through a couple services that's that's it's not done when they make a profession of faith in Christ it's not done when we set up the baptistry and we baptize them and they make a public profession uh, of Christ through baptism. It's not over when they take communion. It's not over when they get a job uh, you know, teaching children Sunday school or become a deacon or become an elder. It's, o- it's over when we stand before the Lord. That's the goal. And, and, and so all our labor should be thought of as people. Everyone, the whole congregation from, from young to old, Wherever they're at, it, at this moment, it's to, it's to push them toward that. It's for that sake. Before I move on, I would just ask you, is that your passion? Is that your passion? Do you want to reach maturity? Are you kind of happy just, you know, I don't need to be mature. I'm saved. Why do, why do I want to be mature? Immaturity is so much more fun. No. Yeah. What about your children? What about you? Do, you? do you love your children that you, such that you want? That, and I know it's a weird way, maybe, of saying it, but I think it's a totally biblical and legitimate way of thinking about parenthood to present my children mature before the, before the throne of God. That's my goal. It's not like I can actually see it all happening, you know, just here. Uh, it doesn't work quite that way, but, but it's, it's the whole thought process. We try to give you tools for that. What about. Husbands, you know, husbands are supposed to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And if husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church, then, then they're going to want not just good for their... They don't want to just put a roof over the head for their wives. They want their wives to be growing in the Lord. They want, they want to see maturity happen in their... So that when they're older ladies, they can, they can disciple younger ladies. And women, what about, you know, uh, so many Christian women. Well, I want my husband to be a good Christian leader. And I'm telling him that all the time. Um, I, keep, I keep showing him where he's failing. He ought to know by now. Um, <laughs> but women, do you, do you pray for your husband? Do you lift them up? Do you honor them such that they would grow in the Lord? Is that our passion? Because that's what it If if we think about where the rubber meets the road for proclaiming Christ, this is, this is a job number one. It's in the home. So, okay, our last reason we do this gets at the means by which we can be plucky, the supply uh, for pluckiness. We have seen the only power by which he can be proclaimed, and that is God. God supplies the power. I want you to feast your eyes on one of those verses. It's a verse, uh, not the only verse like it in the New Testament, where you take the sovereignty of God and the, uh, and the actions of humankind, you know, obedience, let's just say obedience of the Christian, and you just smush them together into one verse. Ever, there's a few of those, and this is one of those that I just, I, I just adore. It says, for this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me for this i toil paul's always toiling paul's not ashamed to say he toils and he said maybe he says it a little too much like man i am real i've got such a crick in my back right now from all the toil and all the struggle for you people yeah he's he's quick to let people know He's quick to let people know that 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 the Christian life is not all blue skies and, and an azure sea, whatever color that is, and, and 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 a twenty mile per hour wind in your sails at your back, and it's all sunny and wonderful. That's that's not a picture, an adequate picture of the Christian life. There's joy. There's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears in all of this. It requires the pluck that we're talking about. But Paul can't even finish his sentence of toil without throwing in who who it's coming from. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy. I struggle. It should say, I struggle with all my energy. He says, I struggle with all his energy. Even when struggling, you know, even when struggling, even when my, my strength feels like it is flowing through me like water through just an open sieve. Even at that moment, I know that his power is at work in me. I don't have to be Hercules. You know, when, you, when I was talking about at the beginning that we, we want to be plucky Christians, you're probably thinking, yeah, I can pull myself. That's a good one. Let's pull ourselves. Let's get plucky, right? That could be a t-shirt for Grace Community on the back. Let's get plucky. Um, so you're, and you're thinking, you're on it? okay. <laughs> And you're and you're thinking, oh, this is going to be one of those sermons. that's going to rouse me to really get out there and try harder, and oh, pull myself up and do it. And it, it, you know, there's there, there's something to that. But at the same time, we're we're not Don Quixote and dreaming the impossible dream. You know, the, this toil and the struggle is real. But it, but the strength of it comes from the Father. He doubles down. He he finishes with all his energy that he powerfully works within. Me. So Paul's in there, isn't he? It's like you start to lose track of Paul. Where'd Paul go? He was, a minute ago he was struggling. Now it's all God. And then it just finishes with the, with the word me. And that's so appropriate. When we think about the work of the gospel proclaiming Christ, all the works that we we're, we're going to do were prepared in advance for us to do. Remember? Yeah. God is at work in us both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. It is only as we abide in Christ that, that, that the fruit is going to come from us. So, of course, you know, when we talk about being plucky and proclaiming the gospel, it has to be his supply. It has to come from him. That's where we have to look. Is that where you're looking? I'll tell you what, if you're not looking there, then you're looking inside yourself. Oh, that's a rat's hole, isn't it? That's... You look. You look for. Your, you look inside yourself, and you're like, "Oh my goodness, this is not good." It's like looking at the waves when you're trying to walk on water. Not advised. You're supposed to keep your eyes on Jesus. That's that's how that works. In Acts chapter four, Peter and John, uh, we get a little biblical allegory here, or not allegory, but example. Um, Acts four, Peter and John are coming to the temple. You remember that story where there's the lame guy who's begging from them at the t- at the gate called Beautiful, and they're like, "Silver and gold, we have none, but such as we have we give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk." And he went walking and leaping and praising God and all of that good stuff. And the council sees it, and they're furious. they're like, "Oh, look at this crowd, and look, hear that listen to them preaching. look at that y- Yahoo down there just jumping up and down, like, "What's wrong with this? Let's bring these guys in?" And they get them in there, and they're like, "By what name did you make did, did, did you do this? By what authority, By what name did you do this?" And Peter's like, you want to know? Are you sure you want to know? I don't think you're going to like what I'm going to say, but I'm going to say it to you anyway. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. You builders, you rejected the cornerstone, but I want you to know it's in his name. The name of Jesus Christ that this man has been made well. And then Peter didn't stop. He went one step further. And he said, and there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So there's your answer. He was plucky. Then it says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that, get this, they had been with Jesus. They're dumbfounded. These are ordinary men. These are not the educated group. These aren't the college educated. And yet, where is all this? Where's all this? Oh, spunk coming from? And we hate spunk. Where's where? Where where? Where did this pluckiness come from? And they went, oh, oh, has something to do with the fact that they've been with Jesus. And that's what people. We want people to say that and see that in us. Can you and I? Hope to live our lives with that kind of heart. Do you believe that we can? Can we keep our nose pointed to the east, to the sunrise? And that is just such a beautiful thought. Well, you know, frankly, if it's coming from me and my strength to hang on, no, 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 that's probably. But but we can as we hang on to Christ. It ha- we can be plucky Christians who never cease to proclaim His name. We can preach the great mystery of Christ crucified for sinners, dead, buried, risen the third day. We can preach this, this, this hope, this, this beautiful and glorious hope, which is not for this tiny little group of people, but rather it goes out to everyone. Everyone that, that will listen, everyone that will hear can have the, the hope of glory in Christ Jesus. And we can do it, but we can only do it as we struggle in his strength. Dear unbeliever, we, uh, we can be bold this morning. We can be plucky for you. Uh, there is a name, and we say it to you without apology. There is one name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. We warn you. We warn you. Uh, apart from him, apart from him, you're lost. Apart from him you're dead in your trespasses you're on your way to a very dark endless eternity without God without hope but if hearing the gospel if he, in hearing the gospel you see Christ proclaimed through the gospel if you see and hear him as the savior of your life and you turn to him and believe upon him you will be saved You will be saved. And when that happens, grab a Bible and get a hold of a good biblical church. Make sure you get involved with the people of God so that together with them, you can then grow up toward maturity. Let's pray. Father, uh, inspire us today that we can be plucky Christians. We want to be that. And uh, if we look to ourselves, we look in vain. But, but we pray, Lord, that we can become like Reapercheap or like Paul to just proclaim Christ to the end to determine, Lord, that we will do this and we will not let go. We will not back down or turn away. We have, we have laid our hand to the plow and we are not looking back. And we're, we're claiming that by your strength because we know we are weak, Lord. But we know that when we are weak that you are strong. Help us to just boldly unpack and proclaim the mystery of the gospel of the glory of Christ so that those who are lost might hear and turn and be saved. And we pray that you would do that even today, that you do that in the heart of someone who's not yet with you. Pray today that their eyes would be opened and that they would see that glory and that everyone that's being preached to today would include them. And Lord, that they would see themselves there among the redeemed, and that they would turn and, and just trust in you today. We ask this in your name. Amen.